doing all right in Studio A. Welcome into Mixed Doubles. I'm Abigail Klapatowskis, joined here alongside my co-host, as always, Mr. Blaze Fields. We just fixed the microphone that popped off a bit, but we're back, ready to get going, and super excited to kick off this Friday afternoon. We've got lots of college football headlines. We've got some NBA, WNBA, Missouri news. Lots to get into. Yeah, we, that we do. That we do. Should we kick right into headlines? I feel like we don't necessarily have enough time to even do some shit chat. We just got to get going. <laughs> yeah, we got to get going. All right. Number one headline making the ESPN News today, Joel Embiid has committed to playing for Team USA in the 2024 Olympics. Embiid has both U.S. and French citizenship, earned both in 2022, could have chosen to play for either France, Cameroon, or the U.S., announced on Twitter yesterday that he would be playing for the U.S. per LeBron James' excitement. LeBron James found out mid-interview, which was really funny. And in his statement, Embiid included this quote saying, I want to honor my son who was born in the United States. I want my boy to know I played my first Olympics for him. Do you agree with this decision, Blaze? I think it's a very interesting decision. You know, he was eligible to play for Cameroon, France, and the U.S. national team, but ended up choosing Team America. This is going to be an absolute stacked roster with LeBron, Stephen Curry, Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, Jason Tatum, Draymond Green, Anthony Davis. There's a lot more that we can talk about here, but I'm not going to waste any more time naming this absolute monsters level group of talent here. Um, I think, it, I, like I said, I think it was the right decision if Joel Embiid wants to win a gold medal. Um, I know that it's a kind of a controversial one, seeing as he is from Cameroon. I mean, you know, he's also a U.S. citizen, but, you know, what can you do? I, I don't blame him for wanting to go out and win a gold medal. Um, and also, you know, the the reasoning with, you know, his child is, a, is in my opinion, a very good reason as well. So congr- hats off to him, but I, I, I'm praying for his Twitter replies because I know there's a lot of Cameroonian citizens who are pretty peeved about the situation. Yeah, I was looking through after his announcement and several were even telling him to go back to his country or the vice versa of that, that they wouldn't accept him back after playing for Team USA, which is kind of brutal. And I think reminded me of how naive I am to the importance of an athlete playing for a certain country in the Olympics. Having grown up in the United States, it's kind of a no brainer that a lot of the athletes, you know, just play for the United States. But the beauty of the United States is how many immigrants we have and how many people have dual and tri citizenship. So I forgot how important that is to country's pride and identity, and I can totally understand their frustration, but I also see Joel wanting to play with his own teammates and help build the success of this team that has all the stars, and his family is here, and his career is established in the United States, so I think both sides of the coin make sense, and I'm excited to see. Honestly, I think the underlying story here, as impressive as this Team USA team is, The other countries' teams are also getting better. And we saw that in the last time that we had some world NBA matchups and the U.S. lost. And I think the franchising, and we have some different G Leagues in different countries in Europe and Africa, and they're getting better. And so I think it might be a little more competitive, but the USA would be embarrassed not to take home gold. Oh, I completely agree. I mean... The, the thing is, is we weren't playing our best guys out there for for the FIBA World Cup. This all stuff, I mean, when you think about the FIBA World Cup versus the NBA Finals, nobody cares who wins the FIBA World Cup. It's all about the NBA Finals, all about that stuff. The Olympics, in my opinion, is a solid number two. And, you know, there's a little bit of pride on being Team USA. You know, it's basically like the all-star game for the NBA. So, and you know, countries are getting better. 
And that's why a lot of countries like seeing their homegrown talent come back and play for their uh, for their teams. And that's why there's this controversy here a little bit with Joel Embiid choosing, uh, you know, to play for Team USA. And um, but ultimately, at the end of the day, I mean, if you want to if you want to win a gold medal, you got to play for Team USA. Quite simply. There you go. Moving on from the NBA to the WNBA, we've got the WNBA Finals kicking off Sunday. New York Liberty faces Las Vegas Aces in Game 1. Both will be aired, I think all four, Game 5 if necessary, will be on ABC or ESPN, which is great. Uh, we got a lot of star talent on both sides of the ball. We got some really legendary coaches on both sidelines. Both coaches were former players. Becky Hammond was just inaugurated into the Basketball Hall of Fame this year. Uh, former Mercury player Sandy Brondello coaching the New York Liberty. There are so many storylines, one of which is the MVP versus MVP. Brianna Stewart was the MVP this year. Asia Wilson took it a couple of years past. Both are extremely sharp shooters. One of my biggest admiration or biggest admiration one of my biggest gold stars I always give the NBA is their shooting ability and I think it is more technically impressive fundamental offense on the in the WNBA versus the NBA for example Stu had 19 points and 19 rebounds per game in the postseason she's averaging 96 percent from the charity stripe that is unheard of in the NBA aside from perhaps Steph Curry I mean, this this shooting ability on both teams is so fun. Offensive games are always awesome. Wilson, on the other hand, shooting 82% from the charity stripe, averaging 25 points a game, 11 rebounds in the postseason, second in the league. I think it's going to be really exciting to see them that matchup. Sabrina Ionescu also putting up some really big numbers. She's super good. The Aces defense in general, though, they can put several different zone uh compilations at you and most teams have not been able to respond no one responded last season the aces are the reigning champs so who really stands out to you particularly blaze in this matchup who are you excited to see well you know i i think that you know asia wilson and brianna stewart is the uh the larry bird and the uh the magic johnson of the wnba i think this is i think this is a rivalry that is going to push the wnba into bigger ratings and bigger excitement because these i mean they just keep they keep facing each other. This is the third matchup in four years uh, for these girls. I, I think you mean the Sue Bird, right? Make another WNBA uh, reference. Why, why. You know, I actually thought Sue Bird was uh, related to Larry Bird. And whenever I found out they weren't, it broke my heart. But uh, I, I think that the key, not necessarily the key player to this matchup, obviously those two, but I think an underrated factor is uh, Benijah Laney. Uh, she'll be drawing Wilson as her defensive assignment and I think has the best chance out of anybody in this postseason of stopping her. She's an all WNBA defender. She's very versatile, can guard from three, can get can get down and dirty, down in the paint. And she's also scored 19 or more points in all but one of those playoff games that she's played in. I think she's going to be a huge factor in, these, in this WNBA finals, but I mean... I, all eyes are going to be on Wilson versus Stewart. It's going to be a very, very fun matchup, and I'm excited to, you know, turn on the TV, watch some women's basketball. I'm super excited. The Chicago Marathon also kicks off Sunday and has the fastest U.S. women's field in history, so absolutely tune into that. Emily Sisson is the reigning American record holder for the marathon. I'm super excited to watch. One more note on the WNBA, especially with Wilson. Having watched a lot of tape this season of her, especially when she's driving into the paint, if you are able as a defender to block her first, but more importantly, her second shot, you have the best 
advantage of block, just kind of reducing their scoring ability in general. Because most people get big, get their arms up, and block her initial drive into the lane. But she has a very strong pivot foot. She has very savvy court awareness, very swift, able to move between defenders. And she can carve out routes that no one else is expecting. And it's typically on those second and third chance points that she puts up all of her points for the aces. And I think it's going to come down to their grittiness and being able to extend the shot clock and make the aces score in that 24, 25th second. And we shall see. I think it's going to be fun. See. All right. Moving to a much sadder headline, legendary Bears linebacker Dit Butkus dies at age 50, excuse me, age 80 yesterday. And in a storybook headline that truly only the Bears franchise could write. The Bears then went on to win their first game since October 24th of 2022 on that same night. First and foremost, however, we just want to take a moment and recognize and send our condolences to the Butkus family. And I pulled this quote because I think it encapsulates kind of how he renovated the linebacker position as a whole. Uh, Former Pro Football Hall of Fame defensive end Deacon Jones said about Dick Buckus, quote, I called him a maniac, a stone maniac. He was a well-conditioned animal, and every time he hit you, he tried to put you in the cemetery, not the hospital. He brought a new name to what it means to be a gritty, tough linebacker and really kind of carved out the Bears' offense, defensive strategy, really innovated both offensive and defensive linemen and brought a whole new definition of what that can look like, what pressure can look like, and was just a personality in his own right. Oh, yeah. I mean, without this man, the linebacker position in the NFL would just not would not be the same. I mean, I mean, he pioneered the art of making the big hit, trying to jar the ball out, just using the crown of your helmet right to the sternum. And he kind of embodied what it means to be from Chicago, being this tough not giving a damn street smart, you know, like, you know, that, that, it's Chicago. That's just Chicago. you got the mustache and you've got the tough uh-huh. skin and what else can you need? And, you know, people used to say that he chewed cement for breakfast. Like, th- those are all-time legendary quotes all about this man for being one of the hardest-hitting linebackers to ever exist. And probably, you know, when we look back at the top linebackers of all time his name will get mentioned 10 out of 10 times because he put the fear of god into anybody who had the football i mean he even got into it with aaron Rodgers of all people at the ripe age of 79 he tweeted this is back whenever aaron Rodgers uh got hurt his toe got like covid toe or whatever he uh he tweeted at him hey at aaron Rodgers 12 help me get verified or more than your toe will be hurting like Come on now. You don't see that level of banter from from other old NBA or NFL legends, you know. <laughs> he gave prestige to the linebacker position where today we give relevancy to the quarterback. He said, hey, we're the ones actually making the hits and doing all the dirty work. So re- may he rest in peace yep. and hopefully may his legacy of hard hitting and actually being able to tackle live on in the, the Bears, who, as I said, snapped their 14 game losing streak. Fields is coming alive. What do you make of that? Is it an exception? Are they going to go back to losing? Are they now taking over the NFC North? It kind of depends on which side of Bears Twitter you fall on. But it was a good night for them regardless. And we're going to let them have that because they've (laughs) had not very many good positive nights. I mean, all it took was a superhuman 
put the team on the back effort by DJ Moore. He was sitting at 180 yards and two touchdowns, which is already a very, very good stat line before turning a short route, a, a short little out route at about the 50 yard line into a house call after making cornerback Kendall Fuller absolutely whiff on a tackle. Fields threw for 282 yards, 230 of which were from DJ Moore. That's insane. And four touchdowns. I think, uh, you know, this is, you know, Justin Fields looked like a great passer. Um, I know it's only one win, and this Bears defense is absolutely terrible, but, you know, maybe we were were a little quick to write off a young QB and a young wide receiver learning a brand new system. But I do think that once um, any NFL defense figures out that you need to put two guys on DJ Moore, it might go back to the same old, same old we'd been seeing previously. But uh, I, I'm not willing to give them worst team honors yet. I feel like there's another team that will like come out of the woodwork and just absolutely start being trash. I mean, the Atlanta Falcons aren't aren't looking too hot in the uh, the NFC South. But um, yeah, it might. Caleb Williams watch. There's a solid chance that it gets canceled over the next couple weeks. And uh, you know, for that, hey, go Bears. I'm never going to say go Bears, but I will mostly agree with what you just said. They also finalized their deal, finally get rid of Chase Claypool. So that gets him out of the conversation a little bit, clear some air to breathe, to catch some balls, to rush a little bit. Um, Of course, I benched Justin Fields this week, as I have been, because I also have Tua in my lineup. So typically you'd think that's the, wait, you you have Tua and Fields? I have, yeah, I have a Tua and Fields combo. I should have texted you. He earned me 32 points last night on the bench, which always kind of hurts, but it is what it is. Look, I, I don't think there's I don't think there's anything wrong with looking at a player saying, wow, he's been playing bad and then sitting him on the bench. And then, you know what, if he blows up, awesome that, you know, maybe next week I'll start him. But I, I completely disagree. The disappointment is going to wreck me, but that's all right. <laughs> but that all comes because I am a cheese head. But you know what I really want? I want some ham. I want to go ham on these college matchups. In our next section, we are going to be previewing the college football weekend. We have many, many ranked games, and we also have some exciting upsets brewing. So don't go anywhere. We will be breaking it all down right back here on KCOU 88.1 FM. You're listening to Mixed Doubles. We will be right back. A little bit about the show, if you've never listened before. This is the gold standard. We talk about Olympic sports. United States got 25 medals, which put them fifth in the medal count. Figure skating, news. I get the feeling I'm going to do what I did last show and talk way too long about world figure skating and not have the proper time to talk about the other things. Or sometimes whatever I feel like. Chiefs Bills played each other this weekend in the playoffs and it was a time. But it's my show, so that's what I get to do. Tune in Thursdays at 10. Hey you. Yeah you. Not the kid, the grown up. You know what I am? I'm your allergy medicine, your vitamins, maybe even your cough syrup. Each year, thousands of kids get sick, some even die, because I'm used the wrong way. Kids get confused and think I'm candy. Now you know what I am? I'm your worst nightmare. For free info, log on to SaveKids.org. Protect your kids from accidental poisoning. And welcome back to Mixed Doubles on KCOU 88.1 FM. I'm Abigail Klaptowskis. Across from me is Blaze Fields. And we, together, are going to be breaking down all the storylines you need to know heading into this college football weekend. What's the first game that you're watching for, Blaze? 
I think I'm gonna go the uh, I think I'm gonna go the Red River Showdown. You know, college game day is gonna be out there, and for good reason. This is the first time these two teams have played each other undefeated since about 2011, and it's uh it's gonna be a very 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 exciting game. Um, this is gonna be, in my opinion, a preview of two of the future top five teams in the Southeastern Conference, and it could end up being a preview of the future SEC championship game coming up soon. So I'm very excited to get the, uh, the Red River showdown into being, you know, an SEC type deal. I think it's going to be very fun. Um, and yeah, this is going to be a very, very good matchup. If you were paying attention last year, Oklahoma got washed 49 to zero, but I want to draw your attention to one key stat. Texas quarterback Quinn Ewers sitting on five rushing touchdowns. Sophomore running back Jonathan Brooks is sitting at 597 rushing yards. But Oklahoma has only allowed 110 rushing yards per game and no rushing touchdowns. If the Sooners can take away that potent run game that Texas has very clearly relied on throughout their 5-0 undefeated streak, I think it's going to allow Oklahoma quarterback Dylan Gabriel to slice and dice the horns. But if Texas can get in there, and expose this Oklahoma run defense, make it look not as solid as the stats show, then, folks, Texas might be back. Those are some really good insight. I love when you break down the stats and get a storyline that hasn't really been seen between the numbers there. So, good job. As an Iowa State fan, though, I would be remiss to say that in this river showdown, I hope the horns go down. I think Oklahoma's passing game is going to dominate. Nick Anderson and Andrell Anthony are some of the best wide receivers in the Big 12 right now and competing against some of the best wide receivers, even the SEC, their future opponents. Um, Also, similarly, Texas pass defense, not the best, give up some big plays, and I think Gabriel is more accurate than ours. I like him better in this matchup. I think the quarterback has more experience, and I don't know. This game's at Texas, though. That definitely throws another (laughs) wrench into my little horns-down plan. But I feel like an upset is brewing, and I I hope it comes to fruition. Don't tell tell Diamond Dog host Wendell Shepard about your horns-down plan. I just found out that he was a Texas fan. Really? Kind of embarrassing for him, honestly. It is. It is kind of embarrassing. Like, I try not to. Ooh. I try not to remind him of it too much, just because I feel bad. But I definitely. I definitely uh, went up to him, like forgetting that he was a Texas fan, and was just like Red River Showdown, horns down. And he looked at me, and he's just like, "What did you just say?" And I was like, "I was like, oh, hey, my bad, my bad. I I forgot. I forgot. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry." Imagine wearing orange. Like, ugh. Yeah, it just... is. A, it is a really gross color, and it's not like a, you know, like bright orange. It's like a real musty orange it's a texas orange it's exactly what you'd expect out of a texas team that's orange and they're like kind of a cow but not really a cow <laughs> kind of a cow listen i, I think a longhorn is like a love more than a cow than like most cows those cows are like the longhorns are scary they could like can they produce milk well no because it's a cow not a calf or not a calf oh wait oh what's, it's a bull it's, it's a, a longhorn bull it's a bull yeah okay what's the no what's the cow not a um Bull, yeah. Uh, is the is a female cow just a cow? <laughs> I think so. No, it's not. It has to be a different name. All right. Well, you're looking it's that a, up. It's a. Oh my gosh, they are just cows. Wow. Well. <laughs> okay, my fault. Gosh. I guess I gotta. I guess I gotta touch up on my on my cow knowledge. Quote of the day. <laughs> oh my gosh, they are just cows. <laughs> they are just cows. You know, like dogs. There's um. 
Well, I can't, Please I, can't, me. I can't say the name of a female dog on air, folks. I'm sorry. That's an FCC violation. But you can probably guess what I was going to say. What's the name of a male dog? I think it's just a dog. Is it a wolf? No. <laughs> a male dog. Um, It's just a dog. This is okay. Whatever. The, the, I think the, we the need animal. to move on from this cow conversation ah, and get funny, to the next game. Funny. We've got Kentucky versus Georgia. I personally think that Kentucky is the most underrated SEC threat that Georgia has yet to face. They are making moves themselves. Who are you taking in this game? It's tough. It's tough. Georgia has had to face South Carolina and Auburn. And these two teams are like kind of bottom barrel SEC. Auburn's a little bit better, but both are kind of having a rough time right now. And they both kept it way closer than anybody would have thought it would. Georgia is 0-2 against the spread against SEC opponents right now. It's going to be a defensive slugfest. Both teams are top three in the SEC in scoring defense, and both teams have monster D-lines. Georgia's, you know, they lost Jalen Carter. They lost um, Will Anderson. They lost, you know, a lot, a lot of good talent on that defensive line. I think Georgia wins, but I'm not going to lie, Abigail. I think one of these one of these really really top of the line SEC teams is going to surprise Georgia and snap that 22 game win streak very soon. Are you perhaps hinting at Missouri's upcoming matchup against Georgia? Look, I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying when it does happen, I won't be surprised. I kind of disagree with you. I honestly think that the Auburn close lot close win loss, I guess, however you want to yeah. say it, for Georgia is the Mizzou-Georgia game of last season. I think that was going to be the wake-up call that Georgia needed to say, hey, you guys aren't performing well. You are not performing like a one seed. In fact, they got the fewest number of votes in the last week that they have yet um, in the AP coaches poll. They're not performing like a one seed, but to their luck, neither are really all of the other teams in the top five. I think they're all kind of competing. There's a lot of wiggle room. It's a I little bit like, murky. I feel like Texas has a very good case for the number one team in the nation, as much as I hate to say it. What's like, their resume? I think it comes down to schedule. Well, te- strength of schedule with Texas, Texas. beat Bama. Texas beat Bama. Yeah, but Bama isn't the team they were last year. Uh, yeah, but th- it's still Bama. That's, That's the still thing like is you have to of kind of restructure the narrative now because a similar win or loss last season does not hold the same weight this season because teams like Georgia and Bama aren't playing like they were. Well, okay. My question is then, who has Georgia played? Yeah, that's a good question. Nobody. Georgia has not played a single ranked team. This is their first ranked opponent. And that's, that's a very I, projected ranking. And I'm a little bit nervous for Georgia coming into this game. I, again, still think they win this game. And honestly, there's a solid chance they go undefeated throughout their schedule. They're not playing any teams in the top 10. You know, they've got, they've got a tough matchup against Mizzou, Ole Miss, and then a Tennessee team that has looked like it's taken a t- step back from what it was last season. So, I mean, there's a very, very good chance that Georgia ends up going undefeated. But when it comes down to it, when it comes time for the college football playoff, SEC championship, all that kind of stuff, it's going to be a tough it's going to be a tough sell for me to pick the, the Bulldogs to go all the way. I completely agree. I also think that a number one undefeated team this season looks more vulnerable than years past. Which makes it more fun for the fans because yeah. you have games like Auburn versus Georgia where Auburn's in it out of nowhere. And you have games in the other weeks where Georgia looks weak. And that's more fun for the fans because Georgia doesn't become a write-off game where you're like, oh, well, they're just going to dominate and it's going to be 70 nothing. Like, I think this is a healthier CFB in general when teams are more competitive in the SEC. Yeah. 
the weakness always turns to then you get to the college football playoff and you remember that anytime a Big Ten or Big Twelve <laughs> team looks takes on an SEC, they suddenly look really small. Yeah, you might as well. I mean, you might as well just hand the college football championship to whatever SEC team makes it. I mean, I know there's expansion, so there's going to be more than one. But yeah, true. I have a hard time thinking that any of these teams, like a like a Notre Dame or Ohio State, is going to be able to compete with these SEC monsters. Speaking of an SEC monster who's looking slightly less monstrous this season, let's move on to the game of the week. That is the Tiger Square matchup taking place tomorrow at 11 a.m. on Fro Field. Be there, Woo! be square. I'm super excited. Truman is allegedly jumping out of an airplane at 10:30. No way. Yeah. Did you no see the tweet? No way. Oh, it's gonna be fire. I tell you what, Mizzou goes five and zero, oh, and all of a sudden we're like. We're taking Truman and we're throwing him out of an airplane. M-I-Z. That's, I mean, we did it, though. We did it. We. I didn't think we were going to do it. There's multiple times I've said on this radio show that Mizzou is probably not going to go 5-0 going into LSU, but we didn't. The sad part is that LSU did not hold up their end of the bargain, so <laughs> we don't get college game day because they went 3-2. and two. This game, in my opinion, is going to come down to individual matchups. This isn't we're ta- we're not talking O line versus D line or wide receiver versus cornerback. You know all these position groups. We're talking about individual matchups. Can Javon Foster hold up against the pass rush of Harold Perkins Jr., who had seven sacks last year? Currently has two sacks, four and a half tackles for loss. And the only reason why he only has two sacks is because LSU has been throwing him into more pass coverage recently, and he's kind of been tearing it up. Can Chris Abrams drain hold Malik Neighbors, the number two wide receiver in the country, would be number one if Luther Burden wasn't absolutely balling out right now, to below his 100-yard average? Speaking of Luther Burden, can he rip through Zai Alexander in the LSU secondary the way the Ole Miss Rebels did just last week? If the Tigers win at least two out of three of those matchups, 6-0. and I like the confidence, and I completely agree with you. Harold Perkins Jr., in addition to his two sacks on the season, also has two fumbles, and both of those came at pivotal moments in games, and he fought for those fumbles. It wasn't like the ball was just scrolling around on the field. He fought, and I think that's going to very much challenge the Missouri Tigers. But here's the thing. LSU has the number one total offense in the entire league right now. They are number one in pass offense. They are number one in third down conversions. They're number two in scoring. They're number three in rush offense. They can score. They can score a lot, and they score very, very quickly. But you know what? They are terrible on defense, and they allow every one of their opponents to also score, score a lot, and score very quickly. It's gonna be, it's gonna be an absolute barn burner of a game. I mean, folks, if you aren't calling your boss and saying, "I have," the worst COVID of all time, I can't work, and not getting your butt to Faroe Field, then what are we doing, folks? Because this is the game. This is going to be the best game that the Tigers are going to play on Faroe Field, and y'all better be there. That's all I got to say. We have some of the best wide receivers putting on a wide receiver skills camp. Normally, I don't like that phrase. I think it gets overused, but you're talking names like Malik Neighbors, Brian Thomas, and then Mookie Cooper has had some good weeks, but Luther Burden and Theo Weiss Jr. I mean, this is a skills workshop. Honestly, the only thing that can get in the Tigers' way is their own selves. If Missouri's offense gets to the red zone, they will have every opportunity to score because LSU has proven time and time again they cannot stop the run game. They put no pressure on the passer. 
I think it's going to be a very, very exciting game. But Missouri needs to score and score quickly. But more importantly, they need to score in the second and third quarters. If you Mm -hmm. look at the scoring breakdown of both of these teams, it's inverted. LSU has the highest scoring in the second and third quarters of their games versus Mizzou typically in the first and fourth. Missouri needs to keep its momentum rolling in that second and third quarter, sustain their offensive momentum with some longer drives, keep their defense off the field, allow them to get some breaths, because you know LSU and Jaden Daniels are going for the long ball. And that is going to gas our defensive linemen. Give your defense a break. Get them some fresh legs. Keep Brady cooking. It's going to be fun. It is going to be so fun. Make sure you're there. It's going to be a blackout. Did you look at the uniforms, though? It's, yeah. They didn't get the memo. It's not a blackout. They it's, went black helmet, black jersey, and then white capri pants like you'd see a suburban mom on the <laughs> East Coast wear. I don't love it, but that's okay. I've never been one to criticize uniforms because guess what? At the end of the day, the Missouri Tigers could still win, and I hope they do so. They won't Ooh. be doing it in style, though. Nope, but that's all right. All right, real quick. Fave upset that is on the ledger for you. I forgot about that question. Let me scroll. You go first. Uh, I am going to go A&M over Bama. Just going to put another nail in the coffin of Saban's Crimson Tide. Give me Syracuse over UNC, just like the Black Eyed Peas. I've got a feeling. All right, don't go anywhere. We're going to come back with an MLB Roundup. I'm Abigail Klaptowski, because that's Blaze Fields. You're listening to Mixed Doubles. Lovely cushion header. Bajero! Box to Box is back and better than ever. Join myself, Jack Nolton, and my brand new co-host, Grant Salzman, to break down the world of Premier League and Champions League football. We have a ton of build-up to the 2022 Men's World Cup in Qatar, and of course, a fair few rants about U.S. Men's National Team Manager, Greg Berhalter. So if you want to stay up to date on the footballing world, tune in to Box to Box, Mondays at 10 a.m. on KCOU. That's astonishing. It's Carefully, Brad. Don't worry, Wilma. I'm an expert driver. But that truckosaurus isn't. Look out! Oh, no! Brad, did you get hurt? No, but I got a great idea. These vines and hooks will keep the whole family in place. You're so clever, Brad. Buckle up, everybody. I think I just invented seatbelts. Yappa-dappa-doo. Fred buckles up. So should you. Welcome back to Mixed Doubles on KCOU 88.1 FM. I'm Abigail Klapitowski, who's joined here alongside Blaze Fields as always. We just talked college football, NFL. Now it's time for the MLB Roundup. We're going to break down all the playoff storylines that have been covering my Twitter feed, starting with the Milwaukee Brewers. They are cursed with the one-out, bases-loaded situation. Typically favors the offense, not in the case of Milwaukee Brewers. They got swept. My heart goes out. It was just... It was rough, and it wasn't really, it wasn't really not rough for any part of the games. Uh, both games in a row left way too many runners on base. I think that when looking back, people might say, "Well, Brandon Woodruff wasn't pitching; he was injured. That would have changed the game." Nope, this came down to offense. Didn't matter if Woodruff was pitching; they did not score, and that makes a difference. So, you know what? Was not fun while it lasted, and yet, not very many teams get to play in the October, and. There's always next year. Yeah. You know, the Brewers, they had leads deep into both games, only to just cough it up twice. They had bases loaded twice in the series. 
scored zero runs off those and in a essentially a two-game series those are the moments that make or break a ball team i don't think this result was an upset the diamondbacks in my opinion played way better baseball they played in a tougher division and i think that's what kind of gave them a worse record but the way the brewers lost was really really heartbreaking and it kind of calls to question if craig council the manager can manage a playoff team and not get embarrassed year in and year out i mean this is just another time where you know we've been looking at the the brewers as a as a potential contender they've been really really solid and they just kind of flame out in the postseason you know they were nl central champions in 2021 lost in the nlds to the braves get to the wild card game twice 2019 2020 lose both those you win the central in 2018 make it all the way to the nlcs Take the Dodgers to seven. Okay, we get it. We get it. It's just, you know, the Craig Council era has been nothing but close call, close call, close call. And I'm not going to lie. The Brewers, they might need to move on. You know what he does a lot? He sits and he spits. He sits there. He looks at his little notes. He spits out his sunflower seeds. And I don't get the feeling that he is the most rousing coach. And yet, he has conducted one of the best bullpens in the entire league, didn't help us much because, as I said, you still have to be able to score. I don't necessarily think he's in the hot seat, but I think it's preheating. But alas, the Brewers are <laughs> out, pre-heating. so let's move on to someone else that's still playing. The Rangers swept the Rays, and the Rays looked like it was kind of a preseason non-conference showcase. Yeah, Attendance was bad. Yeah, I mean, I've heard so many excuses for the Rays absolutely pathetic attendance right it's a bad stadium it's hard to get to it's you know it's not even in tampa it's a three o'clock game but i i ask you this have you tried going to like truest park in atlanta where it's not really even in atlanta and it's hard to get to and hard to find parking and yet they sell out basically every game because they're the top team in the in the league that they play for i mean yeah at athletics fans they showed up in droves to prevent to try and stop their team from getting sold in one of the biggest dumpster fires of a stadium i've ever seen to watch the worst team in baseball this is a playoff team that we're talking about if they lost a hundred games i think there'd be 10 people in that stadium maybe 20 there's probably a local church that outdraws the tampa bay rays if they lose 80 games are you serious i mean they're building this new swanky stadium with taxpayer dollars, and I, it's just a big—it's a waste of money, in my opinion. Because who's gonna come? Who's gonna come to this giant new mecca for ba- for Rays baseball if they don't even come to a freaking playoff game? I wish the Cardinals had the level of success that the Tampa Bay Rays have had in the past five years. And if they did, the Cardinals would make so much revenue they wouldn't even know what to do with it. They'd probably spend it on another free agent that doesn't pan out. It'd be crazy, you know. So that is. That's my rant on the Tampa Bay Rays. The Texas Rangers looked awesome, though. Absolutely stunning performances by uh, um, Jordan Montgomery and uh, Nathan Eovaldi holding the Rays just to one run throughout the entire series. Eovaldi looks sharp. Looks very sharp. There was a lot of questions around this Rangers pitching staff, you know. They've got some guys that they're kind of worried about. Jordan Montgomery was a big question mark whenever he got there. Nathan Eovaldi, he's been very very inconsistent their bullpen is absolutely terrible it's one of the worst bullpens in major league baseball history and they still made the playoffs you know so i'm 
I'm very excited by this Rangers team being able to uh, to to put together a solid two a solid two games, and they're going up against the Baltimore Orioles, who have, I'm kind of on some shaky ground with, in my opinion. I like the Rangers over the Orioles. I think Uvalde can shut down the Orioles' youth. I think they can overcome their lack of depth and the bullpen with their hitting abilities. Um, This seems like the storybook run that Rangers fans have been looking for. And if not now, then when? Because they rarely make the playoffs, so you might as well go for it. As we talked a little bit about last week, Orioles have some really strong hitters, but they're so, so young. And especially if this, is it best of three for the second round or best of five now? Best of five. Okay, best of five, especially if the Rangers can take this out to a game four or five. I think that experience becomes more and more significant. And you have to face in Texas now. You don't get the advantage of playing three games in a row at home. I kind of think this is the upset. I I agree. This is probably the biggest upset or prediction that like I'm gonna go out and say. Um, I mean, you look at you look at Evan Carter. Evan Carter has only played around 30 games in his Major League Baseball career and hit 750 in his first playoff series. Mind you, it's only two games, but I mean, every time he stepped to the plate, he was getting it to a full count. Was very patient, and he even hit a bomb in Tropicana Field. I. I'm very excited for this Rangers team, and I don't know this this Orioles pitching staff kind of it it kind of worries me. They've got guys like you know Jack Flaherty who's really I he's not going to play. Kyle Kyle Bradish is playing. He's very solid. I could see him taking Game One, but I mean you got to get you got to get two from Dean Creamer and and Kyle Gibson. I mean. Gibson's got a 4.73 ERA. Kremer's up there as well. I just don't see this Orioles pitching staff being able to survive a, a lineup that is sprinkled with hitters like, you know, Marcus Simeon and Corey Seager, Robbie Grossman, Adolis Garcia. You know, these are all guys who can slam the ball. I completely agree. Speaking of people that can slam the ball, I think that brings us to the Phillies. Uh, wait, hold on. <laughs> you go ahead. No. I lost my spot a little bit. No, no, you're Thought fine. Thought I had a really smooth transition there. Who's your LDS lock? Who's my LDS lock? Well, I'm going to go with the Braves over the Phillies. I just don't think it matters who the Braves really even face. They have one of the most talented rotations in all of baseball. I mean, whenever your number three pitcher is um currently escaping me oh no oh no well anyway they have they have spencer strider who's an absolute w pitcher okay when you're when your third when your third best pitcher is charlie morton you know you're doing something right they've got spencer strider max freed charlie morton i mean that's just a solid three-man rotation who's going to be able to carry you through a three-game sweep of the phillies and if you know you drop a game you still got bryce elder the young gun who has shown a lot of promise ended up with a 3.81 era this season 128 strikeouts and this was a guy who really wasn't expected to do a lot and you know kind of had to help the Braves through some really, really tough injuries um, to their rotation throughout the start of the season. And being able to cut his teeth early was very, very good. And I think he's a very well-rounded pitcher. And yeah, I mean, they've also got an offense that is loaded with talent. Yeah, 
I think the Phillies also lose. Yes, they swept the Marlins 7-1. That's where I was going with that. But that 7-1 came off of a grand slam. It seems like they're slammer slink. Uh, Kyle Schwarber hasn't done as well in the playoffs as I thought he would have, given his veteran status. Bryson Stott has done well, has won a home run in the in that game. Uh, I just don't see them having the firepower. And it's just hard to bet against the Braves. You could put that sentence in anyone else in that team against the Braves, and I would still choose the Braves. I think they're going to take it all the way. That's not what I said on Twitter. I had the Tampa Bay Rays going all the way because that's what I said our first week on Mixed Doubles, and I really wanted to be right. And then they got swept, and they went bye-bye, and there there too went my perfect bracket. But alas, you win some and you lose some. I mean, it's fitting that they have a Ray tank in the uh, the in the middle of center field at a Tropicana field because the race tanked <laughs> in the playoffs. So very funny, but um, yeah, no, I mean the Phillies, they just, they just ain't got the talent. They just have the talent. I mean, Bryce Harper is going to have to do a heck of a carry job. I think his shoulders are going to get a little hurt. All right, that's going to do it for our MLB roundup. When we come back, we have a little more football to talk. We got some flag football stories And I think we're just going to break down the hype surrounding the Saturday game. We broke down it from a football analytical perspective. But now we're going to take a little bit more of a Missouri fan. Why you should be there at the Tiger Squared matchup. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Mixed Doubles on KCOU 88.1 FM. Uh Uh-oh. Young Tommy is smoking a cigarette, creating his own smog cloud. (coughs) Tommy's up to bat. Tommy smokes because he thinks it makes him look grown up. But watch what smoking does for him. (coughs) That coughing is one thing. It keeps him from playing his best. You're out! Don't smoke. It doesn't make you grown up. It makes you a loser. Yes, we're back. And so is the Breakfast of Champions. Airing every Friday morning at 11 a.m. Join myself, Brandon Anthony. You first mentioned it to me, and I was like, "What is this? Like a like another like UFC type of thing?" Like- My co-host Ryan Crothers. This isn't March Madness, you know. This is the best of the best. As we start your morning off at all things sports, from NBA to NFL and even the NHL, we got it all. Again, join us every Friday morning at 11 a.m. on KCRU 88.1 FM. Welcome back to Mixed Doubles on KCOU 88.1 FM. I'm Abigail Klaptowskis, joined here at Blaze Field. And if you have listened to our last few episodes, you know that we like to talk about nothing else besides our flag football team, (laughs) which was two and two heading into playoffs. That's right. You only need to win or tie one game and maintain a... 3.0 3.0 sportsmanship rating. There you go. And out not of four. and don't forfeit. And you make the playoffs. But you know what? We did not only make the playoffs. We won in overtime. That's right. We held Veritas's team from the 10-yard line. They had more than four opportunities to get into the end zone. Held them there. Came out. Scored a touchdown on our first possession. We were leading by two scores at one point. Kind of <laughs> fell off that a little bit. But you know what? We live to see another game. It was a, uh, you know, it was a roster that... Uh, had had undergone some uh, some some bumps and bruises, you know our top two wide receivers Ethan Cole and Wendell Shepard, you know had a had a little bit had some injuries happen during that game and Ethan Cole was able to grit through it, scored the final two touchdowns 
of the game in spite of the fact that after the first touchdown that he scored, we were like, all right, you can sit on the bench. You, you've done it. You, you, you've, you've given us all you got. But it turned out he still had some left in the tank. Caught a nice little touchdown over the middle um, in the end zone to uh, to seal the deal in an overtime effort. And it was an absolutely insane, insane game. I mean, wow. Like, the, the vibes were insane. I mean, we were we were down a score. The t- t- time was ticking off the clock. It was fourth down. Grant Salzman throws up an absolute prayer to Tyreek Hill, a.k.a. Ethan Cole, to tie the game. Um, we were able to stop Veritas. Um, while they were on our side of the field twice, able to keep it a scoreless game going into overtime, they had six opportunities to get it in because we kept we kept having those illegal contact penalties. It was, it was quite tough, but you know what? We made it through, survived the blow, and then first play out, Ethan Cole catches a dot from Grant Salzman to seal it. So for you listeners that are perhaps less concerned with what actually happened and you're like, you know what? This sounds like the epitome of reliving your glory days. I have compiled some applicable lessons that I've learned in this flag football game and flag football season on a whole. One of those one of those being if you see Ruthie Pearson go for a pass, put like two people on her because she was at towards the beginning of the game, she was absolutely bringing the momentum for us. I mean, it was like anytime anytime that the dudes were covered Ruthie would go off for a pass, get like 10, 15 yards. It was it was intense. Oh, she was wide receiver one for sure. For sure. Uh, number one, it's a lot harder to actually pull people's flags than it looks. And this yep. gives me a little bit more humility when watching the NFL or college football. And you're like, just bring them down. And then you go try yourself. And you're like, okay. So when you're both running and you got to get the footwork. But I have to say, we're getting a little bit better. Charlotte Rayleigh and I taking care of the pass rush up front. And I feel like we've gotten the trap technique down pretty well. Number two. You might be deceived by the whole flag football contactless sport label. There is a lot of contact, and our team especially tends to be very injury prone. I ended up with a nice goose egg on the side of my head. Wendell Shepard was pretty banged up, but sounds like injury reports say that he will be back full strength on Tuesday. Thank the Lord. So don't join a flag football team if you think that you're not going to get bruised, because the bruises are where the memories lie. I dislocated my thumb playing for another team. It was... uh... Yeah, didn't know you could dislocate that, but I, I I definitely did it. Did you find it? I did find it actually. It was actually um it was actually getting a slice at Shakespeare's and I was like, hey bro, come on now. It's unprofessional. I was like, right, where'd you even get the money, huh? You got thumb coin? What is this? I think we had two separate puns there. I'm not <laughs> sure where that went. All right, but now I would like to switch gears one more moment. We have Mizzou Madness tonight, okay, and then we have the Tigers versus Tigers matchup tomorrow. And I just kind of want to talk a minute about the evolution of the Missouri fan base in the last season across football, men's and women's basketball, softball. The evolution of, I think, the Missouri fans and team, if we're talking football, are finally a united front that is excited and hopeful and not just crossing their fingers or holding their breath, but legitimately believes that Missouri Tigers have the ability to beat another ranked opponent. And I think that also carries into the basketball excitement. We have Mizzou Madness tonight. It's a kickoff event on the quad. Lots of lights and smoke. Uh, We got some three-point contests, some dunk contests. The fans are super excited about Dennis Gates. I think Robin Pinchton has a little bit left to prove this season, but always excited to cheer on the women. And it just feels like the average Missouri fan on Twitter has something 
kind of, of a pep in their step, some fire underneath them. And Blaze, if you had to take a moment to explain why that is true and how we can continue to captivate on that, what, what does the fan base look like to you right now? I This is what... I, I go back to this quote by by Ben Fredrickson from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. said, Combine the football team's hot start with the basketball team's rapid rise, sprinkle in the Tigers beginning to show their teeth in the NIL realm, and what you have is a revenue sports synergy Mizzou has lacked for a long time. I mean, we are seeing sort of two separate sectors, the two most popular sectors of Mizzou athletics hitting their stride at the exact same time, and it's just causing excitement for Mizzou Athletics as a brand. I mean, this kind of excitement was carrying over to volleyball when they were undefeated. It was, it, it's been carrying over to, to the soccer games. It's going to probably carry over to girls' basketball and softball. You know, this is a very, very, very exciting time to be a Mizzou Tiger because we're, we're looking at a, a Mizzou football team that is one, one or, or probably two wins away from being the best it's been in years. You've got a Mizzou basketball team that's coming off a, a great showing in the NCAA tournament and is got a number one recruiting class in men's basketball. I mean, this is just an awesome, awesome, awesome time to be a Mizzou Tigers fan. And I just wish that uh, I wish that I could get, you know, just one more year out of it, you know? I hope so. I think synergy is a really great word to capture that. He said that well. And we're no longer the butt of the joke. We're no longer the punchline. This is a team that's not only in the rankings, but deserves to be in the rankings and has the games, the resume, the stats to prove it. There is a cohesion now between the coaching staff and the players. The stands are finally packed. Twitter is more positive than it is negative, which hardly ever happens. All of the pieces are coming into play, and regardless of whether or not Missouri beats LSU tomorrow, I think it will be one of the strongest offensive fights coming off a really strong offensive performance against Vandy, and it it captures a better season to be a Missouri fan and to be a Missouri player, and it's really, really, really exciting. So like we said at the beginning of the show, be there at 1030 if you want to see Truman the Tiger skyrocketing down from a plane. Again, all rumors, but I have it on pretty strong authority that that will be taking place. Be uh, loud. Do not let the purple dominate the stands like that happened at the K-State game. That was embarrassing. There should not be more purple in that right far corner than there is black and gold. Get there before the first kickoff. Get loud and show Brady Cook some love because he has been doing the thing that we have been wanting him to do. And Luther Burden's been catching all his passes. And I don't know, but I feel like they're going to win. Do we have a final score prediction, Blaze? Oh, final score prediction. Look, like I said before, it's going to be an offensive, it's going to be an offensive uh, masterclass. 45 to 35. I also think it's going to be an offensive showdown, unlike one we have seen out of the Tigers in a very long time. Give me 42-35. Hear those Tigers roar. Also, um, if you're going to the game and we win and it's not on a 67-yard field goal, do not rush the field. That's embarrassing. Save that for save that for uh, something else. Whenever we, uh, we host Tennessee. the SEC championship game. There you go. Set those sides high, Tiger. All right. That's going to do it for us. You've been listening to Mixed Doubles. Blaze, always a pleasure. This was really fun. Oh, of course, Abigail. Thank you so much for uh, for being the best co-host. uh, uh, uh I, I was trying to think of something negative to call myself, but thanks, for, thanks for giving, thanks for being the best co-host a goofy guy like me could ask for.
Always. All right. This was Mixed Doubles, and this is Crazy in Love by Beyonce. Don't go anywhere. The Blitz is up next.